Hello there. You're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Monday, the 23rd of May. Today, I'm joined by Apollonia Vlasova, who is a Watson's Daily ambassador. Hey there, Apollonia. How are you today? Hi, doing okay, Peter. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, so um, let's let's get yeah, let's get to it. Um, what did it's you cracking. find? Uh, yeah, what did you um, find most interesting today's uh, edition of Watson's Daily? As you aptly mentioned in Watson's Daily, I found the first article. <laughs> Actually, it's not that I didn't look uh, past that. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> the first article about uh, commercial real estate quite captivating. Um, It essentially addresses the um, widening gap emerging in the commercial real estate sector, um, where we see large landlords such as British Land and Landsec uh, reporting record interest in office spaces. However, the caveat here is that this interest is primarily in the very, very top tier Mm -hmm. um, of the office spaces. Um, This is in part due to environmental standards um, that are currently emerging in the market. Uh, oh, which yeah. is a crucial element, a crucial element of many firms um, deciding to move offices and um, to occupy a certain type of real estate. So, for example, with British Land, they have recently leased offices to uh, firms such as Allen & Overy, who mm-hmm. are kind of chasing the environmental hype, but also um, trying to ret- attract and retain talent through an, increasingly, yeah. um, through an increasingly attractive real estate offering. Um, so primarily the, the kind of the chase after, um, the prime environmentally friendly real estate is also based on regulations such as MEES. So that is a minimum energy efficiency standard of regulation, um, that essentially postulates that by Mm -hmm. currently it's by 2023, for example, well, you know, those ratings you get, like when you buy a fridge, which has like A2, A2F. Um, yeah, I've, so, I've no idea what they mean, yeah. by the way, but uh, just <laughs> like loads of like colored cu- 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 bars, it's like does, yeah. does it uh, keep <laughs> stuff cold? Brilliant. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. consider say GNF, um, yeah. what are called gas guzzlers, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the rest. You know, yeah. Um, no, so currently, for example, by 2023, it will be illegal to uh, lease offices or even continue the leases mm. of of not just offices but spaces, essentially that are below the E rating by mm. 2027, it will be, uh, it will be any spaces below the C rating. Mm. And the goal is to make it by 2030. Um, all of the commercial real estate will have to be not just commercial real estate, but for the purposes of this um, will be of B and C or of a B or a rating. Mm. Um, so essentially that is what a lot of landlords are currently grappling with. Um, is having to retrofit the buildings because demolition and new construction of buildings is usually more expensive, but also considered to um, leave a massive carbon footprint. So Mm -hmm. the the only option that is left is retrofitting the buildings, which Mm. is also incredibly expensive. So this creates this um, gap, Mm. increasingly widening gap between the higher tier offerings that are environmentally friendly and meet all the standards Mm -hmm. um, and that, landlords such as British land which is one of the biggest ones in the UK can't afford mm. um, and the sort of second tier ones and the second tier ones are the ones that are looking to lose out a lot because the smaller landlords are usually 
Uh, well, they're usually sold off. They're currently being sold off, for example, by the bigger ones, such as British Land and Lensac, right? They're being mm. sold off, and they essentially form stranded assets, so to say, in people's portfolios, unless they're being sold off. So the ones, the assets that can't really be used and remain vacant for the environmental reasons and such, creating mm -hmm. a sort of second-tier real estate market, if you will. Yeah. So I was wondering what you think, for example, about this divide and what do you think will happen to the second-tier, less popular um, offerings? Well, um, I think that these, you know, these, these uh, brand-new buildings are always extremely impressive. And I think that these they are nice places to work and all that. And I think that, um, you know, I've, I've worked in various, you know, various places in the city. I, I've worked in like literally just completed buildings, which are amazing feats of design and engineering. And then I've worked in places. I mean, my first place, uh, which was at Casanova, was like a rabbit warren because it, they they started off in one building right next to the bank of england and then it seems that as the years went by they bought more and more adjacent buildings which then meant it really was it was a it, it was it was a rabbit warren um to try and find people it was an absolute nightmare um but um but anyway my, my point here is is that um the that clearly the easier the easy option for the big companies with the big bucks uh, is to go to these uh, these ultra modern buildings. I'm presuming that they probably get nice deals as well because they well, these I mean, buildings... they do get nice deals, but sorry for interrupting just real quick. But they do have to pay quite a bit more than mm. they usually would. Like for example, there is I think there's a 12 percent rental premium for the most environmentally friendly buildings. So it's not like yeah. they're necessarily a deal. Sorry. Yeah, but it depends. I mean, it, this is the thing. Depends when the deal is signed. Um, because the uh, you know if you were in the depths of if the deal was signed in the depths of the pandemic um, they will maybe mm. may well have you know that, that's when you get deals like okay we'll do the first year free or yeah they'll vary or whatever however many years because they want tenants to go in there because it's like everything else the more you mm -hmm. see other people want something the more other people want it as well and then the that's when the you know prices go up so i don't know it's quite interesting to see um but this, the the real problem is the secondary uh, as you say the secondary side of things um and i would have thought if you're not going to knock something down it's going to be extraordinarily expensive and in fact the longer that you wait it's probably going to get more expensive mm -hmm. because more people are going to more companies are going to leave it to the last minute to do it uh, oh, and i would and i would have thought in the last you know sort of 2028 2029 <laughs> um there's going to be a humongous great um upswing in in demand and then the prices are going to go up so in a way i would say if you could <clears throat> if these companies can do it now rather than wait till later that it it, it might yeah. be it maybe it is a good thing although again right now you've got the whole kind of raw material prices problem imagine um, the the amount of investment construction companies will get <laughs> around yeah, yeah. 2028 or so oh yeah, yeah. No, currently i think the the current numbers are is that it's uh, for every 200 pounds per square foot of retrofitting mm -hmm. or refurbishment, it's mm -hmm. 300 pounds to build from scratch. So mm -hmm. it is just a tiny bit cheaper. Yeah. Um, like one, well, one third cheaper um, yeah. to, to refurbish than to um, construct from scratch. But a lot mm -hmm. of the retrofitting is 
still quite expensive. So, for example, I don't know, British Land prides itself in its um, air source pump um, heaters mm-hmm. um, that essentially, I think, consume 80% less energy or something like that. Uh, but the thing is that the upfront cost of investing in these is so, so high mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. most people will, mo- most companies will either be um, unwilling to do so currently or mm. just unable to. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, so it, it is interesting. And uh, I think that this area will continue to um, generate a lot of drama and interest um, over, over the coming years. Uh, and it is amazing how far they bounce back, because now that their, their portfolios have been of, of, uh, of, mm-hmm. uh, of properties have been revalued at higher levels now. So suddenly everything's fine. Um, whereas maybe a year or two ago, it was looking pretty dicey. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting. Then the other thing, of course, is to remember about the whole, uh, the whole fact that um, there's more working from home these days as well. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, wonder, I mean, I wonder whether that does that mean that you are going to get more firms in the same building. Because, you know, over over uh, lockdown, um, a lot of companies have uh, HR have been meeting and uh, talking about the reduction of desk space and, mm-hmm. you know, hot desking, people not having their own desk and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just wonder if that means that they are going to have uh, a fewer workers in per company, let's say, um, then maybe that means that they will have more tenants in each building which maybe i wonder means whether they whether that is a good thing for their rentals because they don't if they're not let's say you've got a big building and you only have one tenant in it you've really got to rely on that tenant doing doing mm-hmm. very well and being able to perform well whereas if you've got say five um you are spreading the risk of one of them not mm-hmm. doing so well um and you're not they they've not got you over so much of a barrel as they would do um if you've only got one ten- tenant but i i don't know i mean it's obviously what i'm saying here is just pure conjecture but no but i mean um, a lot yeah. of um a lot of landlords i think lands like for example have benefited a lot in their strategy from a kind of very focused approach. So they focus on very specific areas and very specific buildings mm-hmm. and that's what really works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by recycling mature assets into new ones, for example, they're going to invest um, mm-hmm. a ton in kind of uh, sustainable bu- buildings soon and that sort of thing. But on focusing on very specific areas, mm-hmm. um, I think that's what let them succeed. So potentially that is a good strategy mm-hmm. because kind of spreading yourself thin and wide doesn't really work that well anymore mm, mm. um especially with kind of fluctuating you know areas of interest for yeah um yeah for office spaces and such i think yeah. that that sounds valid mm. yes yeah. indeed yeah so anyway it, one of those things that is going to continue for sure and we'll be talking more about this as <laughs> time goes on <laughs> right and what was your story today I so it's, I'm it's talk- partly near, <laughs> near yeah, so, yeah so it's going to be uh, talking about mns um quite interesting so marks and spencers this week the top management uh, so their chief exec uh steve rowe is going to step down 
Um, he's going to be replaced by two CEOs, I believe. Um, so the chairman of, of M&S is Archie Norman, who's a retail legend. Uh, and then underneath, you're going to have co-CEOs. Um, the fir- for the first time ever, it's, it's going to be a, a, a lady um, who is a co-CEO. The only reason, apparently, that she's co-CEO is because she's going to do a four-day week, not a five-day week. Um, <clears throat> but, and, uh, but anyway, it's very interesting changing of the guard some people are saying that um that mns is a constant is a persistent disappointer promises much then doesn't really deliver um i would disagree with that well no sorry i agree with that in the past but i think that steve rowe has managed to turn things around strategically after a very difficult time i mean actually over his period of, of being at mns uh sorry as ceo of mns because he's been at mns for something like his whole working life i believe like i don't know 30 years or something um but anyway or more even i'm not quite sure anyway mm-hmm. he um he's 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 changing but what he has done so if you look at mns is food and non-food with food i think that what he's done you know he's got the ocado thing so ocado were with waitrose now they're with mns that has has you know, that has been really good um the non-food so clothing and stuff like that i think that has got a lot better because um over the last i'd say year to 18 months you have seen more brands coming in so out actual proper outside brands rather than sort of you know uh mns mini brands like the autograph uh, per una um uh, god i can't think of any more but you know but there are all various different sort of sub brands these are actual outside brands like you know nobody's child jaeger uh ghosts mm-hmm. uh this uh, jewels as well that's another one that you know that, that they've been selling as well so all of these you know it i suppose in a way you could argue that it's a bit of a rag bag and, and it's getting to be a bit like a department store but all it means that I think that the offering is becoming more interesting. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say the same about the men, menswear particularly, but, you know, I, I do think that it's, a, it's become a lot better yeah, over the time he, mm-hmm. he, over the last year to 18 months. Um, I mean, are you, are you a, an MS shopper? Um, I have, for food, yes. For very, yeah. I think we had a long discussion of what we get in terms of food there and uh, what yes. they have to offer. But for kind of for very specific things, as you said, kind of not really your weekly shop type of thing, but just mm. if you you know want kind of a nice treat or something, you go there. I actually started more as an MS food shopper than their clothes shopper and for me what was very curious there also potentially as an international person not that familiar with the brand but Mm. i remember going into the food store finding it a bit more on the expensive side a Mm. bit more kind of the um elite side if you will Mm -hmm. and then expecting the same of the clothes part so Mm. when i then went to i was expecting prices of like maybe upwards of 100 pounds Mm. um per an item Mm. And I found out that their clothes are like 15, 20 pounds a piece. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of a, not a shock necessarily, but that was just, you know, a bit of a surprise to me because mm. I, after the food offering, you kind of expect a similar level of, I guess, the perception mm. um, of the clothes one. And that to me was a tiny bit of a dissonance. So I'm not mm. sure whether, yeah, whether that plays any part in it really in terms of the perception of m but then they now also have the more, 
um, expensive brands such as Jaeger and such, which mm. are also kind of attached to the store. But usually from my understanding, they're kind of, they're not in M&S, they're kind of mm. adjacent to M&S. Mm. So um, you get a kind of this annex to the building, so to say. And yeah, you go in there and that's, it also a bit unclear. It's also, it also makes it a bit unclear whether they kind of belong to, unless you know, you know, the commercial mm. context of it. Mm-hmm. unless they actually are a part of the store or just like a boutique next to it you know what i mean yeah it doesn't yeah. necessarily associate itself with a brand as much or yeah. in fact if you just walk in there through the door you know and you see suddenly the price tags rising mm-hmm. by like 20 times yeah <laughs> you're like wait what's happening so i don't know that kind of a thing is a bit com- it, it is a bit of a confusing shopping experience in my mm-hmm in my opinion, but I do think that they do have a kind of a nice diversified offering, both in terms of food and clothes. That mm. just makes it also comfortable to shop in, in mm. terms of the specific things that they offer rather yeah. than the shopping experience as such. Yeah. No, what, I agree. What's your experience with them? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think M&S is a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good shop. Um, you know, they, they do a lot of good, decent, you know, decent things on food and non-food. Um, I think the main problem with it is that it's still trying to be all things to all people. And mm-hmm. I think that all, my first, my my knee-jerk reaction would be, you know, get your customer avatar, sell to them, and then concentrate on that and really do that properly. However, I don't think that is within their DNA. I think that the DNA is they are trying to be all things to all people. Now, I think um, most people can't do that, but I think M&S can but it just needs to be more efficient with the way it does it. Uh, and so I think that, the, you know, they, they still, it's still a work in progress, but I think the thing, uh, the, everything is there strategically to move forward. But anyway, right. I've got to go. I've got to go. It's got to cut this short. But anyway, thank you very much indeed for your insight today, Apollonia. It's thank always you. interesting to um, hear what you have to say. Thank you very much for uh, listeners for listening. Um, please continue to support us uh, and we'll be back again tomorrow. Many thanks. Bye.